I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. I think I said on last week's podcast, Awesome Ward, that uh, we'd be back uh, this week talking about Ohio State playing somebody for the for the uh, national championship. Lo and behold, it happened. Uh, Ohio State beat the unbeatable, or at least uh, before Ohio State was 0-4 going into uh, its latest game with Clemson and blew Clemson right out of the uh, right out of the water. And what for Ohio State fans and for guys like me and you, I expected this kind of offense. All year long, I wrote about it. I, you know, on Letterman Row, I talked about it on Letterman Row. I thought this had the chance to be the most prolific offense, the most well-rounded, diverse offense Ohio State has seen to date. Finally, in the seventh game of the year, it came to fruition. And you know, uh, you could have had uh, Vince Lombardi being the defensive coordinator of Clemson. I don't think it would have made a difference. <laughs> yeah, this sounds great. I mean, Ohio State, uh, other than Northwestern, you know, really never had any problem scoring. Um, you and I talked a number of times about some of the lulls that they would go through in second halves of games. And I think that especially when you put it into the context of what they did against Clemson, it was clear that they never felt like they needed to fully unleash the offense and show everything that they needed to do or tap into that full potential because they knew they were going to get past everybody in the Big Ten with relative ease. And, you know, they were hoping for a game like playing Clemson in a rematch or playing Alabama in the title game where then suddenly, okay, well, here's Jeremy Ruckert, here's Luke Farrell, here's the running attack, here's, here's Jamison Williams on a deep ball, like things that you hadn't seen for a long stretch, boom, yeah. here it is. And this is – you're right. I mean, that's – we hadn't seen really the Death Star version, but they hadn't needed it until now. And when it had to happen, they sent it at Clemson, and Clemson could not stop it. That means Ohio State versus Alabama. What is this? This is the uh... – I haven't even counted them up. Fifth meeting, right? Yeah. Ohio State versus Alabama, the fifth meeting. I, I've, I've seen every one of these games before live. Uh, you know, 1977, uh, 78 uh, Sugar Bowl, the only time Bear Bryant and, uh, and Woody Hayes met, and Alabama held sway big time in the Louisiana Superdome. And then uh, 1986, season opener, kickoff classic, uh, Meadowlands, the old Meadowlands Stadium, Giant Stadium. Uh, uh, Alabama won a cliffhanger there. If, uh, Chris Carter, as Jim Carsado said, if Chris Carter had another half second to get his hands out front, he would have caught that last shot at a touchdown pass. Uh, and he was being uh, – anyway, that was a, that was a, that was a, a, a crazy game. Derrick Brooks was man-to-man with, with Chris Carter. Go mm-hmm. figure. And then, of course, uh, you know, right on down the line, uh, the 1994 season, 95 uh, Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Uh, Alabama wins by a touchdown. That was a really good game. Uh, and then uh, – and then, of course, uh, the game everybody remembers most, 2014, Ohio State versus Alabama. Uh, Alabama, the number one, uh, the number one uh, seed in the first college football playoff. Ohio State backs in at number four in Ohio State with Zeke Elliott and Cardell Jones et al. Et al is, means and everybody else. I'm not sure what it means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> wow. Shocker in the Superdome. 
Now, this is the next one. Those games have nothing to do, I don't believe, with the game we're going to see because everybody who was involved uh, from both sides, except for the maybe a couple of coaches on the Alabama side and a couple of coaches on the uh, on the uh, Ohio State side, all the players are gone, you know. But uh, this feels like a classic matchup. This feels like the modern-day college football championship game with two teams that are going to be throwing haymakers left and right offensively. Agreed? Yeah, and I, I think you go back and uh, there's been a lot of talk about poll voters and, and where people have you know teams ranked in the last week or two. But go back to August and, and virtually everybody had Alabama number one and Ohio State number two as the teams that have the most talent, have the best coaching staffs, uh, motivated to do it. Now, things went a little sideways, of course, in the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, Clemson, of course, deserved a place uh, among those top three, uh, knew what they could do, what they were capable of. But I think when you look at this and you look at the way Clemson played this year, Ohio State and Alabama are far and away validating that they have the most talent, that they are the best coach teams. What Ohio State is doing, um, not just with Justin Fields and the firepower, they are dominating teams in the trenches on both the offensive and defensive lines, and they bullied Clemson. Now, can you, can you bully Alabama? Uh, no, but Alabama won't be able to bully Ohio State the way it has a number of other teams in the SEC. When you call – your word is great, Tim. I mean, this is going to be a heavyweight fight between the two programs that are uh, at the height of their powers. And I just – I said it last week. I hope that we can get through this, that both teams are able to stay healthy in their bubbles up until Monday night and that there's no excuses. Um, and I know it's, that's hard, and it's going to be tough to get to that point. But, man, if both of these teams are at full capacity, we could be in for a real show. Absolutely. You know, and you, man, I, I like the fact that you brought up the offensive and defensive lines, especially Ohio State's offensive line, the way it's launched. Uh, Trey Sermon, the last three games he's played, I mean, he just increasingly uh, bringing on the pressure. Michigan State, uh, the Northwestern game for the Big Ten Championship, and then the other night – uh, you know, like I wrote about it, LettermanRoad.com this week, uh, you know, uh, that's almost forgotten, you know, when the, when the dust settled of the magnificent, <laughs> magnificent performance by Justin Fields in, a injured, in an injured uh, category. No, I'm just joking. He got hit in the back of the lower ribs and came back and just had the greatest game by a college, by an Ohio State quarterback I've ever seen in a game of that magnitude by far. Uh, wow, that will live in my mind forever, which may not be that much longer. I'm 66, but at least it will live in my mind forever. But, uh, but just the way these, these lines – oh, my goodness. Wyatt Davis, Nicholas Petit-Frere, uh, you know, uh, Josh Myers, uh, Matthew Jones filling in for Harry Miller, who had, I guess, got a COVID-19 positive test and wasn't able to play in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Matthew Jones answering about two of the last three weeks. Uh, for Ohio, for Ohio State, and then Thayer Munford. I mean, those two tackles gave up no pressures. Are you kidding me? Against against Clemson, we're not talking about. We're talking about five star uh, recruited players and stuff. And you know, uh, that is to be lauded. And my guest this week is a fellow who's really good at lauding offensive line play. The I just best like that there's segue. ever been. I just like that, that segue though. It's pretty good, huh? That's professional. Yeah, the greatest offensive tackle I've ever covered. Uh, in college or pros, and uh, I think he's the greatest offensive tackle ever played college football, Orlando Pace, Big O. He joined me this week on this podcast. We recorded a little bit earlier, but uh, awesome. As you know, 
he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, won every major award a lineman can win, was even a finalist in the height for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, big O knows offense, right? He knows he knows football. I mean, I've been I didn't have the pleasure of of covering Orlando Pace the way you did or getting to know him. Um, but I've been around enough people uh, in Columbus and who know football that they don't just think he was the best. Some people uh, have said this to me, and I think maybe even you as well, that he's not just the best offensive lineman that they've ever seen, that he might be the best football player, uh, period, that they've ever seen. And you know, I, I certainly remember watching him on TV and, and what he did at the next level uh, as an NFL cornerstone. Um, this guy <laughs> – yeah, he, he knows he knows football, and no, and few few people have ever played it at the level that he did. Yeah, well, awesome, and I will be back in just a moment after uh, this uh, interview with Orlando Pace. We're going to chop up what we might see coming uh, next Monday night uh, in Miami, Miami Gardens. Don't 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 confuse the two, Miami and Miami Gardens, and don't confuse the three, Miami Beach, Miami, and Miami Gardens by any stretch. But uh, Ohio State <laughs> versus Alabama. And a fellow who knows a little bit about football, as we said, Orlando Pace. Uh, without further ado, here's my interview with the Big O. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, college football, NFL Hall of Fame member, Orlando Pace, the greatest lineman I have and probably will ever have covered. Orlando Pace, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. What's up, Tim, man? Thanks for having me, man. Thanks hey, for having me. Hey, man, you know, it's uh, been a long time coming, but I've been wanting to get you on here for a while, but definitely now, my man, because uh, uh, when I think offensive line, I think of you in those lines back in the mid-90s, and I know you watched that game on Friday night, and, uh, you know, you saw that Ohio State offensive line for really the third straight game kind of like set people up and mow them down, and just how impressive was that victory by Ohio State number one, and then the offensive line uh, in particular? Uh, first of all, I thought that was probably uh, one of, one of the, the, uh, the best games the Buckeyes have played in a number of years. And I say that, Tim, only because it seemed like for every man on the field, they were playing with a purpose, a sense of edge. Um, everybody seemed really, really focused. And to your point, that offensive line, the last three weeks, even though they've had some issues with COVID, or whatever, those guys have been playing phenomenal. And I know Justin Fields had an incredible game, and and he'll get a lot of credit for that. But I just wanted to say that the offensive line did a phenomenal job. They were focused. I know Wyatt David gets a lot of credit up front, but those guys have really come along, and they were really the reason, uh, you know, obviously Justin uh, Justin Fields had that success. 
But the Buckeye offense had that type of uh, the time and, and uh, you know, because Clemson's a good team, but they yeah. they dominated the line of scrimmage. Hey, you know, Big O, when you when you watch it, when you watch that and you watch a team coming off the ball like they were, you know, and, you know, you guys didn't zone block as much as these guys do. I don't think in your day at Ohio State and stuff. But uh, when you just, what, what kind of feeling does that give you to watch, to be able to actually see an offensive line taking control of a game? Well, it's, for me, I love it, man. I, I, you know, obviously, I'm an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, I've, I've always, I will always be an offensive lineman. So to kind of see that attitude, to see, you know, those boys rolling off the ball like that, they took that game personal. And then and, and they realized what they had last year, that missed opportunity where they could have won that ball game. And you could tell they played with that same, that effort, that energy, that drive, they were finishing blocks. Man, I was excited just watching it, to be honest with you. Trey Sermon. Seems to have. I had Eddie on here a couple of weeks ago when uh, Trey Sermon beat his uh, single game record. <laughs> you yep. know, uh, you were a big part of that 314 yards against Illinois. Uh, but there is something to be there's something to behold when a running back gets in a rhythm with his offensive line and just has a confidence about him. And I'm just wondering, what are you seeing? You know, better late than never with Trey Sermon because obviously he was coming off that uh, knee injury from a year ago when he was at Oklahoma. Didn't have that chance to really get his feet under him with this line. I mean, still to this day, they've only played seven games. But what do you see out of Trey Sermon right now that just uh, grabs your eye? It feels like he's getting healthy. Uh, you know, I think he's getting used to that offense. And, and uh, you know, when you play six or seven games with the new team, and I'm sure they, they started, they stopped uh, just with all the restrictions they had to, they had to, to incur. Uh, he's just getting in rhythm now. He's getting in rhythm. He's getting his burst. He's getting his explosion down. He wants to hurdle everything. So you could tell he's uh, he's really getting his explosion back. And everything I read in the preseason about how impressed they were they were with, with Sermon coming into the year. Um, you know, the first couple of games he was get, trying to get in the rhythm, trying to get used to the, the offense. But now, man, he's in he's in great rhythm, great sync with the offense, that offensive line. And what it really does is opens up that offense. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you got a running threat. And then I, I've always said since the beginning of the year, we probably got the most talented receivers in the country in terms of speed from top to bottom. Uh, so that opens up that passing game. Now you got to ask yourself, if you're a defense, who do I stop? Do I try, do I try to stop Sermon, Alave, you know, Wilson, whoever it might be? Who do I stop? Pick your poison. So we got some weapons on the outside. I know Alabama coming up has some, some great weapons, but – uh, we have some pretty pretty impressive players as well. I was gonna say, man, uh, next Monday night in uh, Miami, you know this this game could be fifty nine to fifty eight. I mean, <laughs> right, right, big. I mean, you, it, it does. I mean, you know, you and I've talked before, and of course, I covered you for, for for three years and have kept up with you forever. You're you know one of my favorite guys of all time. But my point is, I grew up in Alabama. I went to Alabama games in the early sixties with my dad, and my older brother. And, uh, and you know, obviously was an Alabama fan then, you know, kind of got out of that fandom aspect of things. But this is the best Alabama offense from, from, from a diversity standpoint I've ever seen. And I said going into this year that I thought this Ohio State offense could be, this, could be the best offense I've covered from, from a diversity standpoint, top to bottom, just to be able to hurt you from all kinds of ways. I mean, it could be a real slobber knocker on that next Monday night, couldn't it? It could. It could be a shootout. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, our defense plays the way they, they played last week. But, you know, when you got two offenses colliding like this where they can score, 
uh, you know, at, at will, you know, Justin, Justin's now 60 yard passes a couple times last. So it's going to be, it's going to be an offensive uh, shootout and just hopefully our defense can, can uh, contain their offense a little bit more than they, they contain our offense. Yeah. That's all it takes. One or two stops in a game like this, like basketball, like basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like the NBA used to be when I was growing up, you know, 120, <laughs> 118 every night, you know, Hey, um, yeah. if you're watching that game, uh, as you're watching that game, middle of third quarter, you know, you know, Justin was de- – I'm talking about the Ohio State-Clemson game. You know, Justin is dealing with getting hit in the side back, you know, got back in there, took, as he said, got a couple of shots in the tent <laughs> and got back out there. Right. Uh, but are, are you feeling like I'm watching maybe the best overall performance? Like I, I tweeted this in, the middle, in that part, best overall performance I've ever seen from a quarterback in that kind of – for Ohio State in that kind of situation – just what's your take of what you watched from him on Friday on Friday night in New Orleans? Immediately, I looked over to my uh, – when he came out of the tent, he came back through a touchdown pass. I looked over to my son. I said, man, his legend will forever be submitted at Ohio State Lord, man. I'm telling you. It's the t- it was probably, to be honest with you, probably one of the toughest performances I've ever, uh, ever watched from a quarterback. To get hit, take the shot he took. And the thing when you're seeing him, he's still throwing these these bombs. And you're like, dude, how is this guy, you know, doing this? And I know he's going to be sore as I don't know what. Didn't get a diagnosis. Didn't want to come out the game. Uh, only missed one play. Man, that that is a, as impressive of a performance that I've seen in all of football. Just his toughness and, 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 and you know, the way he, he willed himself and helped will that team to beat, to beat Clemson. Do you uh, – debate right now is uh, – Coming out of that game uh, with Trevor and uh, and Justin Fields, people still say Trevor's probably the right now number one quarterback off the board. Justin Fields might be number two, you know, depending on what your taste is, et cetera. But what what's your take on just watching these guys play on Friday night? I mean, and I'm not trying to get you to get into a debate about who's who's the better quarterback, but what what do you see? What's your, what's your feel of those two guys coming out of Friday night of who you might hang your franchise on? You know what? I, to be honest with you, Tim, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those guys. I think they're they're going to be both great pro quarterbacks uh, when they make it to the to, to the the NFL. It depends on what system they get in as well. Uh, yeah. Coaching and development and those things all mean a ton. I mean, we've seen quarterbacks come out of Ohio State recently that went to bad situations and didn't last long. So I, I, I like to see. You never know. It depends on what system they get in. They're both talented guys. Right now, uh, and I hate to say this, but, uh, you know, obviously, like everybody, every other pundit or draft pick, uh, you know, obviously, you know, has have Trevor Lawrence probably number one, and then Justin Fields is a close second. One thing I love to see Justin do is just get to a place where he can develop, use his skill set to his, to his strength and, and be fine. I think, uh, you know, obviously he has some rough spots throughout the season in terms of just, you know, picking up blitzes or holding the ball too long. So I like yeah. to see him improve on that just in, in terms of coverages and things like that. But, you know, he's a phenomenal uh, athlete, phenomenal quarterback now. And I look, I can't wait to see him uh, perform on the next level. Kurt Warner played in the Arena League. And then all of a sudden he was the quarterback, the the uh, champ, the Super Bowl champion quarterback of the Orlando Pace led. <laughs> Uh, what, 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 when you get to that level, give, give people an idea of what you see that's the difference between the good and the great, you know, when it comes to leading a team to a Super Bowl championship, what, what, what is that little difference? Cause you played with some guys. 
Yeah, you know what? It's really, you know, first of all, you have to be a leader. But I think what guys need to understand is that you really have to, to the preparation. Uh, the, the great, that the really separates, you know, good quarterbacks from great quarterbacks is they, they always get you out of a bad play. And they can make that call on the line of scrimmage and understanding where, what defenses are trying to do to them. And then obviously if they blitz them, they know exactly where they're going. They get rid of the ball. Uh, and they make they make pinpoint decisions, at, at, you know, just like that. So I think that separates guys. Uh, it's just their preparation, their leadership, their skill set, obviously. But all those things are are, are really key to uh, being successful in the, on the next level. Yeah, as I like to say, you know, you got to get to that pinpoint, like that 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 decision like that. But then yep. the physical ability to get a ball in there, like uh, Justin threw to the tight end on that one touchdown, was yep. phenomenal. You know, that's a that's that's a play you put on your resume, just like the one coming off the bench, like you said against Michigan last year when he came back in after getting banged and throws a touchdown pass to yep. Garrett Wilson left corner. I mean, yep. you know, and like the one the other night. I mean, it's crazy. Hey, uh, real quick, uh, let's go down this offensive line. I mean, I just want to get your take on a couple of guys. Nicholas Petit Freer has just blossomed. I mean, you played tackle your whole life. He's on the right side, but uh, both of these tackles, Thayer Munford are playing at a high level, but give, give me a take on both of those guys. Dude, first of all, you don't, you don't hear a lot about him. Uh, yeah. Big number 78. It, dude, I'm telling you, he, I've watched him personally. He doesn't get a, he doesn't get a ton of a, a credit. He's quietly just going about his business, doing his thing. Right. And he, and he's, he's physical, he's nasty. Uh, you know, obviously I, I look forward to him, you know, obviously continued success, but, when you look at their offense, he probably made the biggest improvement of all those guys up front. I thought he was – I thought he's playing phenomenal football. Big number 75, Mumford. We kind of go back and forth on social media a little bit. I always try to encourage him. He's, he's really improved. Uh, obviously, he's playing really, really good football. I seen him last week just finishing guys. Somebody texted me and said, hey, that looked like old 75 out there, man. So, so always, always – I always root for those guys. I try to send them messages when I can just in words of encouragement to keep doing their thing. So. Dude, dude, how come they haven't retired 75 by now? That's my big question. Hey, and Tim, we it, need a petition. We, every yeah. time I talk to you, you say that, you say that to me, man. We need a petition. Uh, well, I know I've talked to a few guys, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously I don't, I, you know, that, that, hey, well, you know more about that than I do, Tim, I would say. Well, the thing is they, they quit retiring. They quit doing, getting in the business of retiring jerseys because, you know what, you kind of run out of numbers after a while. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But 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 I, look, when that guy texts you, said that looked like a uh, big number seventy five uh, running around out there. You you I hope you text it back. Almost. <laughs> almost. That's what I said. I said almost. Almost. <laughs> hey, Orlando, you know you've been out. You've been away from Ohio State now for a quarter. You know, almost a quarter century. Uh, uh, what is it like though to watch your alma mater do what it's doing? Do you, is it in some ways is is it even more exciting? You know, knowing. Number one, the blood, sweat, and tears you put in there, how you helped elevate the program back when you were there and stuff. But what is it like just being that fan, that ultimate fan? I, I live and die with them every time they step on the, on the field. I really do. Um, you know, obviously, people always ask me, what do I like more, the NFL or, or college? And I always say college because the NFL was a business. They cut you. They do all these things. And I had such a, I had such a great time at, at, when I was there in Columbus. Uh, it was, it was, you know, obviously, and, I, and I'm passionate about my Buckeyes um, at week in and week out. And uh, just, you know, obviously to be on the national stage as much as they've been on the national stage, 
there's nothing else. I probably talk more trash than I've ever talked in my life, uh, just throughout the Buckeyes. And, and when they don't do so well, I get it back from my friends and, and, and some people around. So um, I'm just excited to be, to be a part of it, to be a part of that tradition. We have a, a, a great tradition there at Ohio State with a lot of great players that I played with. And, and I'm so fortunate that we've been doing this, when you look back on it, and, and building the program for 25 years in terms of, you know, just really getting it going from the early 90s to, to now. And we haven't had much of a drop off. So that's impressive in itself. It gives me bragging rights for so many people. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that part of it. Yeah, I was going to say, man, if I had to, in history, if I had to write down uh, two of the great recruiting battles that were by John Cooper and staff, you know, to get, get things righted back then, where number one, getting Robert Smith to stay in, stay in state and then getting you to stay in state. And, you know, obviously y'all were one and then the other, but uh, that, is, that is the genesis of what we're seeing now. You know, I've had – several uh, former players on my podcast in the past. And I keep reminding them, and you may agree or disagree, but I think this is truly the golden era of Ohio State football. I mean, when you look the last, you know, 19 years of, of the game, you know, 17 and two, like, like, I, like I even said to somebody, this, is, this has been such a wacky year, like wacky two years. Ohio State has now played Clemson more times than they played Michigan in two years, you know. <laughs> but it is – this is kind of the golden era that you guys helped bring along, isn't it? I mean, do you look yeah, at – Yeah, it is. It, it started with us. But one thing I got to – one person I got to give a lot of credit to, Urban Meyer did a fabulous job in terms of – when I was at Ohio State, they mainly recruited only the, the Midwest and Ohio, you know, those things. Urban really opened the recruiting up where he went across the country and recruited a lot of speed to compete with some of those teams in the SEC and things yeah. like that. So to make that transition and start bringing different type of players into the, the Ohio State fold was, was a, I thought was, a, was fabulous. And I think Ryan Day's doing the same thing, recruiting, uh, you know, throughout the country opposed to just mainly staying in the Midwest. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, somebody said these are two SEC teams going at each other next, <laughs> at least caliber-wise, next Monday night. Hey, last thing, I wanted to ask what I wanted to ask you. Randy took, you know, took over the reins for Urban Meyer. That's not always easy, you know, as you know. The most, one of the three most maybe winningest coaches of all time from a percentage standpoint. Now Randy stepped in. He, he's had one loss on his resume. Of course, he coached those three games in 2018 at the beginning. But how impressive are you? with the job he's done and where this program is headed. I mean, recruiting wise, they just picked up another huge recruit over the weekend for the 2022 class, you know, but uh, wow, wow. how impressive is what they're getting done? Yeah, just, it, it really is impressive uh, for what he, he's been able to do and not have any drop off whatsoever from what urban did. Uh, Cause you know, obviously a lot of Ohio state pretty much recruits itself, but you know, when you lose a guy like urban Meyer, you would think there'd be a fall off or a drop off, but Obviously, you know, Ohio State, they, they knew what they had in Ryan Day, and he's so smart in terms of his preparation. And people see that. I mean, it's not – when you look at that game this past weekend, you can see how prepared the Buckeyes were. And, and you can't you, – and not every coach can do that, especially with so much that's going on this season, to still have those guys prepared and ready to play the way he did was a great uh, – was a great attribute to who he is as a coach and how, his, how the players have bought in – to what he's saying. And, and uh, you know, obviously his play calling, his confidence he has in his, in his offense and his, his quarterback is impressive. And uh, I can't wait to see what they got Monday night. Hey, last thing. How strange has this year been, Big O? I mean, uh, by the way, have you stayed COVID-free so far? I mean, and uh, 
I've been fortunate to stay COVID free. I've been kind of, you know, trying to abide by all the CDC rules and do everything I can uh, just to stay safe because, you know, obviously, you know, with young kids and things like that, you know, you, you, you just never know. So, uh, yeah, just trying to stay COVID safe. And, uh, and, and one thing I will say about college football, people don't understand me, and I was telling this to somebody the other day, how impressed I am with kids. You know, obviously college kids, it's easy to say the NFL because they get paid millions of dollars, but these kids to really put their life on hold uh, and, and really, you know, constrict some of the things that they do in college and still go out and play a game for entertainment. Uh, you know, the NCAA should do some, something in terms of compensation for some of those kids because some of the things that they've done, and, you know, obviously they'll have millions of guys watching on Monday night and they won't get paid a dime for it. So, uh, but they but they've sacrificed a life this season, and I don't know how many people would say this, but they sacrificed a lot for – uh, a lot of entertainment for people. So hopefully, you know, something happens or something like that. But I commend those players, um, you know, all the players in college football for the sacrifice for our entertainment. I was going to say, the NCAA keeps saying name, image, and likeness is coming, you know. <laughs> for, for, the, for the seniors or less players on the less year players on this year's team won't do them any good. But I did want to yeah. ask you this following up on that. As you look back on, like you said, those college years were probably your favorite playing a game. And past whether these guys should be compensated, because clearly they should. I mean, there's, you know, I've been on that bandwagon forever. But it's rare in your in your life that you get to be in a group that the really the focus is all about the the brotherhood and winning the games, right? And that's what's special. That's what separates college football from the NFL without a doubt, unless things are really going good, you know. But that, that is what they have embraced and need to continue to embrace, right? I mean, that is – those feelings are fleeting in, in life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, to your point, when you're in the NFL, you know, everybody has families after games. Guys go to their families. In, the, in, the, in, the, in college football, you only have each other. You're playing for each other. You're playing for – you know, you hang out after the games. You spend so much time together. Uh, you know, those, the, to your point, they are fleeting. So hopefully we continue that. Even if guys get paid, there's no individualism or anything like that. Guys can still stay focused and really have that, you know, camaraderie and things like that. So, yeah. Orlando Pace, Big O, the pancake machine. That's it. Appreciate you joining the Tim May podcast, man. There's a few prouder moments I've had of knowing a person uh, than, I, you know, you and I were separated by 100 yards, but just I was there for your uh, National, Foot, National Football League, the pro football uh Hall of Fame induction, man. It's one of my proudest yeah. moments, man. Seeing you up on the stage, knowing, knowing when you walked into Ohio State that that first day of practice, we watched you walk out, and I went, man, wait, <laughs> that's a freshman. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you never lost that aura. You never lost that aura, you know, as a football player. And there, yeah. there are a few football players that can say that. But Orlando, appreciate you coming on the Tim May podcast, my man. Hey, no problem, Sam. Thanks for having me, man. Go Bucks. Yeah, All and right. Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Big O never lets me down, man. Uh, uh, Orlando Pace. I always say this every time I have somebody on my on my show, but it, I do have my favorite guys, you know, from the past coming on from time to time. And Orlando Pace, Eddie George, you know, you know, my buddy Kirk Barton's one of my best, one of my one of my good friends and stuff. But Orlando Pace and Eddie George, two of the greats to ever play the game uh, in the last couple of weeks, have been on here, and I truly appreciate it. But the insight that they bring from being that great player looking back, having Eddie George look at what Trey Sermon 
has done the last couple of weeks. Uh, having Orlando Pace look at what uh, Wyatt Davis and that group, I mean, Wyatt Davis is the wheel horse without a doubt on that offensive line, just like uh, Orlando Pace was on those 94, 95 offensive lines. But just to have those guys give you some uh, perspective on how good they think this team is, you know, like, like I kind of baited them a little bit, but, you know, I, I keep telling them, uh, awesome, this is the golden era of Ohio State football we're living in. And like uh, Orlando basically said, yeah, and that started really, when you think about it, back in those mid-90 teams, man, 93, 94, 95, that's when the rise really started under John Cooper of getting big-time talent in there and being about as good as anybody else in the country uh, from one year to the next with very few exceptions. It it certainly laid the foundation those, those players did because, you know, as the NFL popularity was really starting to explode at that point or go to a much higher level, you know, college, college football and NFL football have always been popular, but, you know, really the way, uh, you know, Sunday ticket packages and attention and, you know, Monday night football and all that, as it really skyrocketed and sort of passed the NBA and Major League Baseball, well, that was the same time that uh, Orlando Pace and Eddie George and, you know, Joey Galloway, these guys were becoming big stars at the next level. And I just, you know, remember you'd watch those shows and suddenly you were hearing the Ohio State University in the intros. So like, I, yeah. I, I think that there is, there's something to that where the brand became more nationally established. Those, those players gave away to more NFL talent that wanted to sign up. And then Jim Tressel took it to the next level. And once you cap it with a national title the way he did, I mean, then you're solidified. It's not as if Ohio State was not already uh, a powerhouse brand or recognizable, but that, that certainly elevated it. Now, one after the other, you keep seeing Ohio State build on that. And you're right. I mean, this is the golden age, and I don't see what's going to slow it down, um, you know, just to take it even to the future with what Ohio State is building with these recruiting classes, the one they just signed. Um, got a, a five-star commitment on Saturday, the day after the Sugar Bowl. Yeah. Uh, with Jaheim Singletary. Uh, you know, they're the one in, for 2022, I think, it was five five stars already in the fold. It's insane what's going on. Like, this is why you're looking at Ohio State and Alabama, and why this would be that you know this could be the start of a a trilogy or a trilogy of games in the title game. And it's fun, man. I'm really excited. Yeah, I was gonna say you need the Hubble telescope to keep up with all the stars that are coming <laughs> in. Uh, you know, like like my bonus uh, podcast last week with uh, Doug Donnelly. You know, former Ohio State superstar, really great receiver. Mm-hmm. Played for the Dallas Cowboys, too. You know, lives in the Dallas area. And uh, talking about how he, in essence, brought Quinn Ewers, you know, to an Ohio State camp and uh, said, hey, I think uh, one of your better throwers is outside. You may want to take a look at him. You know, they have the big the big prospects on the inside, and they did went out there and got him and came along. And Ryan Day, <clears throat> from the first time he saw Quinn Ewers throw, loved him. And, uh, you know, he's committed for that 2022 class, uh, maybe the best quarterback in the country maybe the best uh, prospect in the state of Texas, uh, maybe uh, with him decommitting from Texas and committing to Ohio State, maybe they're one of the main reasons why Tom Herman is no longer the head coach at Texas. But I would expect Steve, Steve Sarkeesian, the uh, offensive coordinator at Alabama, for one more, one more game, now the new head coach at Texas, to come back into the Quinn Ewers, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, orbit, and try to see if he can sway him. But uh, that's what's going to be interesting about Monday night Oh, Quinn will get to sit there and say, hey, who calls, who calls plays best, right? Yeah, uh, he actually – so Byrne talked to Quinn Ewers and, and Caleb Burton over the weekend, and yeah. they said that, you know, that coaching change had 
no impact on them. Now there's a long way to go till they're signed. Oh yeah, buddy. Oh yeah, it's a long way to go. Yeah. So, and we know how that that works. But I think the the benefit for you know Quinn Ewers here and the day the day after Texas makes this change or the day before you see Justin Fields throw for six touchdowns with playing through that injury. Um, Ryan Day's reputation with quarterbacks is has not gone uh, unnoticed, obviously, by these guys. So, right. obviously, the Texas is going to have to make a big swing. Um, that could make or maybe it could maybe even make or break Steve Sarkeesian there. Who knows? But um, right now, that's another just fascinating subplot here in a game that's full of them. Uh, it'll be, you know, Sarkeesian trying to keep up with what Ryan Day is doing with his play calling. And right now, uh, I mean, they're not going head to head, but just their offenses. Who can keep dialing up? you know, the best ball plays. Uh, we talked about Northwestern and how, you know, that first half, just, you know, that was maybe the worst couple quarters that Ryan Day's had. He pushed every button right uh, on Friday night. It was remarkable whether it was the, you know, sugar huddles, whether it was, you know, walking in plays with receivers, full huddles, uh, shifts, personnel. Like, he absolutely dominated Brent Venables, and it was a, it was a sight to behold. Dude. 639 yards of offense against Vanderbilt or against <laughs> Maryland would be ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, Brent Venables, you know, like I put a little thing out on Twitter, you know, 639 this time, 516 uh, in the uh, in the uh, uh, the Fiesta Bowl last year, Ohio State put up on him, and then after that, uh, LSU put up 638. You know, I think the bloom is off that pumpkin. You know, it's uh, still an orange pumpkin, but the bloom is off of it. But, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe that's why Brent Venables doesn't want a head coaching job. Have yeah. we ever thought about that? I don't know. But uh, I, I, if I'm Debo, I'm looking at those numbers and going, that's a lot to make up. And, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a race with somebody uh, and you give them – you spot them 500 yards, which is <laughs> what football's all about, right? Yeah. I mean uh, – that's a lot to make up, man. If you just say, okay, yeah, you may get your five hundred, but we're gonna get five fifty, or we're gonna, you know, you know, we all know the uh, the the true currency in a football game is touchdowns. Right. That's what stood out about Ohio State compared to a year ago. They scored touchdowns in the red zone. The only time they didn't was an ill-conceived maybe pass by uh, by Justin Fields that was picked off. It got deflected and picked off the end zone, but yeah. but they scored touchdowns in the red zone. And from outside the red zone, but the main thing is when they made when they got to the red zone, they made it pay, right? Yeah, and I, that's just one example of how you know the script kind of. The, there were so many similarities between the Sugar Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, except yes. all the crazy things that went against Ohio State went in their favor. I think both games were physically, you know, dominated by Ohio State. They were the better team um, in both games against Clemson, but you know, you saw you know. Clemson gets it's ejected for targeting instead of Ohio State. You know the fumbles, the the red zone execution. You know on and on all these things that we saw happen, uh, a key drop or a missed throw. You know there were 10, 10 11 of those examples from Ohio State uh, in twenty nineteen where you know they only needed one or two to go their way. Yeah. And suddenly you know once everything did bounce their way, Clemson had no shot. They were just they were overwhelmed by Ohio State and. You know, that was a deserved victory. And, and honestly, the 21-point margin of victory was about the smallest that it could have been. I mean, Ohio State dominated the game by much more than that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the great, you know, 
I don't like to necessarily rate these things because everything is relative to what's up for grabs or whatever. There's right. no doubt winning the national championship, uh, beating Oregon, a team that, I, that was favored by seven. And Ohio State dominated, I thought, when it really mattered in that game. Uh, Oregon without Marcus Mariota was just almost probably an average, an above-average team. But with Marcus Mariota, it gave them a shot. But the way Ohio State won that game, when <laughs> after beating Alabama uh, a week and a half before, that's a great win. Uh, Ohio State beating Miami in the Fiesta Bowl for the 2002 BCS National Championship. A great, great victory the way it was done in overtimes. Uh, but, uh, but this one the other night, this was like a great game, but it turned into a rout if you follow my drift because it was 14 all. Yeah. And then it wasn't. And it was crazy. Uh, how dominant Ohio State was on the largest stage. And like I set it up with in the first half before the Orlando Pace interview, this was, uh, this, was this offense that we all thought had this capability of, of doing this every week this year in this crazy of years to try to get your foot feet in, on solid ground and kept stepping on mud. You know, this, is, this was the fruition of what I thought could be the great offense of all time in Ohio State history. And uh, that's redundant. I don't care. Bottom line is, I don't see it slowing down going against Alabama. I've seen Alabama this year a couple of times against teams that can actually throw the ball, Florida and Ole Miss, and can scheme a little bit, have trouble. Yeah, they dominated some other teams. You know, they, they dominated Texas A&M. But I don't – see, I didn't never put Texas A&M on the same plane as Ohio State or any other discussion, or even Notre Dame, really, when it came to this college football playoff uh, uh, committee conundrum. But uh, this is an Alabama team that can be had if you uh, have the guts to throw the ball against them and then also try to run it. This, this is the best offense Alabama will have faced this year because I think the running game for Ohio State is much more solid than that of Ole Miss or that of Florida. What's your take? Yeah, I, I, you know, Florida, I think, is very skilled with their passing attack but limited with their running game. Um, the one that is most intriguing to me is Ole Miss because – their offensive personnel, and I, you know, I know Lane Kiffin can. I've seen him do uh, wondrous things with much less talented players. Um, thinking back to his one year at Tennessee, uh, you know, I know that he knows how to scheme stuff open, but the the talent that he had at his disposal for Ole Miss, and the fact that he was able to score forty eight points with those limitations uh, on on his depth chart, that's what's stuck in my mind. Wait, so, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, awesome. He knew Alabama sig- defensive signals. Didn't you hear that story? Well, yeah. That's <laughs> good. I mean, golly, good. folks. Golly, folks. You know, and, and let's get back to one of the things you talked about earlier, though. Yeah, Ohio State was going to leave no doubt that they weren't going to let Clemson steal is the term used. But if you're signaling in signals, you know, like an aircraft carrier deck guy, you know, uh, directing uh, traffic on the deck, uh, you know, you're going to have stuff stolen. But the bottom line is Ohio State didn't even leave that the chance the other night. Uh, they got the job done. But uh, what I'm saying here is uh, Nick Saban and his defensive staff got out-schemed that night by Mississippi's ran some of the same plays over and over, you know, with, for big gains. But I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, it, it just tickles me. Because if you're giving signals from the sidelines, I think the other teams are going to sit there and go, you know, turn their head, not look, et cetera, you're nuts. I, I also think it's just a little silly because. Yes. It's not even really the way it works. Like an offense is not waiting to see what a def- defense signals in. That's not, that's not how the sport, the game is played. No. Uh, but 
that's neither here nor there. Even if they knew it, um, they were still able to execute at a much higher level against a team that had five stars at every defensive position. So, um, you know, the Florida game and the Ole Miss game yes. tell, tell me, just like, they, just like they tell you, and what you said there is that, look, Ohio State has Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Trey Sermon, uh, Luke Farrell, Jeremy Ruckert, and then one of the best uh, pure passers in college football who he still – I still don't think Justin Fields gets enough credit for his ability to throw. Maybe that changes some after what happened on Friday night when he wasn't able to really be a true dual threat for two and a half quarters in that game. So, yeah, yeah. you I think you said this either last week or, or maybe a month ago. When you can throw and you have Justin Fields with those people, you're going to have a puncher's chance against anybody. So it was trendy and popular to, to rule out Ohio State against Clemson. Uh, it, it and, and people have said that Alabama is the only team that can win the national title for weeks. Uh, Ohio State, what they did on Friday night, if they do that again, they will beat Alabama. I don't have any question about that. Yeah. You know, Alabama is a solid, deep program, just like Ohio State. If I had to pick right now, if I had to pick a defensive lineman, if I had got first pick of the rosters, if I had to pick a defensive lineman, knowing what I know right now about the way guys are playing right now from both of these rosters, it would be Haskell Garrett. I'm not so sure Tommy Togia wouldn't be number two for me. I'm, I'm not kidding you. The effort that they bring and then the effectiveness that they bring from a relentless standpoint is off the chart right now. And they've had to play a little bit more than Ohio State defensive tackles have had to play in the past because of a little bit of a depth situation. But Antoine Jackson gave Ohio State some valuable minutes the other night. Deron Vince, I mean, right on down the line. You know, Ohio State played without, what, two or three of its defensive ends in that game, uh, including Zach Harrison. Yeah, Tyler Friday. Uh, Yet, uh, let's face it, Jonathan Cooper played his best game as a collegian the other night. I'm talking about from a pure effort bringing it every play, swinging his baseball bat as hard as he could uh, situation. And it, thank goodness he finally got to Trevor Lawrence a couple of times to kind of, you know, uh, you know, feed the, feed the hunger. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, you know, that's where this game is going to be won or lost on, on, on Monday is can Ohio State give Justin Fields time to do what he's doing? Can they open holes again? Just seems. They don't have to have holes. Seems for Trey Sermon. Uh, the, one of the great stories in college football the last four weeks, you know, and uh, can those receivers get open against uh, whatever uh, defense uh, Alabama throws at them? Because I'm telling you something, the two, the two wrenches that I'm going to write about later this week, the two wrenches that uh, Ryan Day and his staff have thrown in to the preparation now was just the way uh, Jeremy Ruckert and Luke Farrell went off the other night. You and I, you know, I, that was my big, bold prediction especially about Ruckert, and it came true. He should have had three touchdown catches, but, but uh, uh, Justin threw it, to the, threw it to Luke there on that one, which was a great pass. Uh, but then also the way Trey Sermon, given Alabama to have to worry about a not just an effective running back, this guy's now transcended into a great running back like you thought he could have been four years ago. That just, man, that just adds to the conundrum for uh, uh, Nick Saban and his staff. And I'd go back to what you were saying about um, the defensive line, Tim. Tyreek Smith also played the yes. best team of his career. And those guys, I think it, it's incredible. And I talked to Zach Warren about this uh, on Monday for a Buckeye Q that we're doing this week. Um, 
you know, without Zach Harrison, without Tyler Friday, um, you know, Ohio State was not playing the full rotation the way that they normally would. At least it seemed that way to me. I don't know what the exact snap count was, but, you know, they had to play more. Um, you know, Larry Johnson didn't get to do it the way that he ideally would. But they – that drive with about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, you know, Clemson was trying to cut it to 14. Uh, they're on like the 35. The Rushman took over. They put those four guys on the field. And then on third down, Baron Browning was added in as a sort of the Rushman package. Right. The front won the game by getting after Trevor Lawrence. Forced a fumble. Uh, you know, Tyreek Smith had him wrapped up on fourth down, forced him to throw it away, hit him on third down. Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai on every single snap are pushing the pocket four yards back into Trevor Lawrence's face. He threw for 400 yards, but he was still, I don't think, ever comfortable after the first quarter. And the point is they looked as fresh as they did as if the game had just started. That tells you about the, you know, passion, the energy, the intensity that they played with and how badly they wanted to win, that they were fighting through that pain, fighting through the fatigue uh, to, to change that game. And they will have to do that against Alabama. We'll see. It's still – so there will be you know, 10 games between – 10 days between those games. We don't know specifically what happened for Zach Harrison. Tyler Friday has been traveling with the team, so it doesn't appear to be a, a, a COVID-related situation for him. But he's been missing yeah. for a while. You know, if you could just add in one of those guys, that, makes, that can make a big deal in a game like this. Absolutely. You know, and of course, you know, you find out as we record this, uh, this is on a Monday of this week. Uh, Waddle, it looks like he's been cleared to practice again with Alabama. Are you kidding me? Putting Waddle back in that wide receiver core with Devontae Smith, who, you know, as we record this, may win the Heisman. I didn't vote for him for the Heisman. I think he's had a ridiculous year, without a doubt. Uh, but, uh, and then you're going to be it's interesting because, like I said, this is the best Alabama offense I've ever seen, and I've watched Alabama for 60 years. Mm -hmm. uh, but just from the balance of Najee Harris, mm -hmm. who I remember standing next to at the Ohio State spring game when he kind of flew in all of a sudden yeah. and was there at that Alabama spring game, and I introduced myself to him, and he said it was nice to meet me and stuff, shook my hand. And then I told him I was with the local newspaper, and he pulled his hood up and walked off. <laughs> uh, his hoodie. But because, uh, you know, it was kind of a surprise. I think everybody – uh, like uh, Nick Saban and people that Najee was taking one more look at Ohio State before committing uh, fully to Alabama. But, uh, but yeah, Matt Jones, uh, wow. Nobody's ever had a really just over-the-top better throwing year than Matt Jones has had for Alabama. That goes all the way back to Joe Namath, Harry Gilmer, right on down the line, two attack over Loa. Uh, but he is, he is more of that classic quarterback in the pocket Wanting to throw the ball quick, maybe get rid of it, but he's in the pocket. He's not he's not that scrambler. He can scramble, but he's not Justin Fields. He's not Trevor Lawrence. You know, just a lot of these things I'm looking at, if Ohio State can just get primary coverage on some of these wideouts coming off the line, you know, this this uh defensive line might have a might have a shot. What do you think? Yeah, and I, I think that they that Ohio State can get pressure and they, they will get pressure. I think it'll be incumbent on them to do that, to force a mistake or two. I, I, you know, Trevor Lawrence had three, four fumbles. Maybe the fourth one didn't come out when it was like going behind his back or whatever in the fourth yeah. quarter. They got there, and they were able to create those strip sacks, create pressure, get the ball out. I'm not saying that that's the only way they can win, but sometimes you can force a bad decision, uh, get an interception. I think that's where it has to come because you're not just going to line up Sean Wade 
and seven banks against those receivers. Whether Waddle plays or not, it's not they still have other guys uh, at, at Mac Jones' disposal. You know, you're going to get beat. Like, it's going to happen. The same way that Alabama won't be able to shut down Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, this isn't a game that's going to be 17-13. to 13. So yeah. you're going to have to buckle up and understand that you're going to probably give up a couple touchdowns. Defensive backs could get beat. You'll see big plays. But what makes the difference is if you get a couple third down stops, if you force a turnover and get a short field, it might only take one. Maybe maybe that'll be the kind of game that this is with trading punches. But I, I just think it has to come from the defensive line, making sure that Wade and Banks don't have to stay in coverage for four seconds or, you know, that won't work. Yeah. Um, you got to get to, you got to get, create some pressure. They'll start with those guys up front. I think that this is a game too, where, you know, Baron, Justin Hilliard needs to stay on the field at linebacker, but maybe Baron Browning, you know what his athleticism can do. Maybe you use more of him as a stand-up rusher. Um, I liked what they were, when Ohio State's done that, uh, both this year and last year. I think he gives up a little bit too much if you're playing him outside compared to Hilliard, who was just having a remarkable storybook ending to his career. But yeah, however you get it, it, it it's going to come from that, that front four, maybe five, um, and Ohio State will have to win the game up front. Last thing, uh, observation by me, uh, you know, on Twitter, when uh, Clemson went right down the field the other night first, you know, scored the touchdown, Sean Wade had a, a little moment there, but definitely seven banks had a moment. Uh, yep. uh, you know, dude, some, not all by any stretch, but some Ohio State fans remind me of the Billy Zane character in Titanic. They are really fast to jump off the boat, you know, jump in the lifeboat. You know, this thing's going down. This thing's going down. And uh, this is a 60-minute game anymore, ladies and gentlemen. Agreed? I mean – is entertainment at its finest. It is not entertainment at its finest if you're from the traditional Ohio State beats the hell out of everybody, Alabama beats the hell out of everybody, no one is their peer kind of thinking, which, by the way, was never truly the case. But uh, these are, like I said, this is going to be a – this is going to – the nickname of this game is going to be the haymaker because who lands the most haymakers is going to win this game and is not going to be for the squeamish to watch. You agree, right? Yeah, you have – I mean, that, and that was the same like you're talking about that first quarter, that's a, a damn good football team. All right. Yeah. Like <laughs> I think there's an, an element of this where Ohio state wins so many games in blowout fashion. And so does Alabama. And so does Clemson that, and all three of their fan bases tend to react the same way. And I understand why, because it's human nature. Here's what you're drilled in. Ohio state should, should roll. They're going to roll everybody. Well, those, there are two programs in this country aside from Ohio state that deal with the same expectations are expected to win every single game that they play every single week. But when they may meet with each other, those are fights. Those are fist fights. Those are yeah. you have every, you know, you, you don't just uh, roll out the football and, and play one good half and win. And Ohio state, you know, had to deal with that last year against Clemson where they dominated for half. And then here they come because they have the same firepower to match up with them. You know, just, I know it's hard. Uh, everybody demands <laughs> perfection, but you know, I didn't, feel like uh, midway through the first quarter that Ohio State was out of that game by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, no. And that's like that's how it's going to be. Both teams and are capable of making runs on Monday night. Yeah, and here's testament to, to uh, Ryan Day again. He gets enough – you know, he probably gets enough love on this show anyway, but I'm <laughs> throwing it out there to him. As I've said all along, 
he almost always has an answer for the question. Uh, finally got to the answer. We're all screaming at, at him, I'm sure. Finally got to the answer against Northwestern, yeah. you know, run the damn ball. He finally got that in his head and did it, and yeah. they dominated Northwestern in the second half, no question about it. Uh, but they, he almost always has an answer. If you can give his quarterback two or three seconds to throw the ball, you can give his running backs a crease or two. He can get something going in both aspects of the game. He wants that balanced attack, just like, you know, slow coming, but just like Nick Saban, what he's all about now offensively at Alabama. I know he's had all these slew of uh, slew of uh, offensive coordinators come through there, not the latest of which is Steve Sarkeesian, but uh, he's come around to that, uh, that haymaker style yeah. of playing offensive football. You've got great players exploit them, use them, you know? And, uh, and like you said, it's not always going to be pretty. You can get sacked on one play and throw a touchdown pass on the next, as we saw Ohio State do the other night. Your quarterback can get hit in his back and have to leave the game and go under the tent and get two shots. Thankfully, they pretty much hit the mark, it looked like. Come back in and lead you to a touchdown, a big touchdown pass, as Ryan Day said. When I asked about what are you going to remember about the other night, it was – it was that. It was a guy rising to the occasion. You've got two programs that have that are the, the is two of most traditional programs in college football history, and uh, this is going to be a treat on Monday night, no matter how it goes down. Agreed? Yes, I can't. I mean, I just can't wait. This is yeah. this is why I cover college football. I'm, yeah, I'm ready. I'm getting goosebumps too. Say, we'll be back. I might be back later in the week with another bonus podcast. If I'm not, I definitely will be back. Uh, Tuesday a week from now, uh, dissecting what went right or wrong with Ohio State in its college football playoff national championship game, its second appearance in this game, and uh, its what uh, fifth appearance in a in a championship game since they were devised way back when the BCS started in 1998. This will be Ohio State's fifth appearance in a championship game, and uh, uh, it's going to be interesting, as Awesome Ward said. And for Awesome Ward, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.